Hello, and welcome to The Big Intermission, a podcast about the future of the theater industry. I'm Emily Kling, and today I'm speaking with Dwayne Yancey, who is a playwright. So this is another one of our Playwright Spotlight episodes. Dwayne is from the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. He has been produced in 47 states, six provinces, and 17 countries, which is just immense. That is such a huge uh, list. And you can learn more about his work by going to his website, which is linked in the show notes, as always. But so you hear it here as well. It is DwayneYancey.com. D-W-A-Y-N-E-Y-A-N-C-E-Y dot C-O-M. And on this episode, we talk about his artistic process. We talk about how he's used his time, how he stays productive um, and so prolific. We talk about what he thinks theaters are going to be looking for in the future. So how he's catered his writing with that in mind and what he's excited about, like everyone else, uh, now that it's coming back. So here is the interview with Dwayne. Um, I live in Fincastle, Virginia, in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. At the moment, I'm in Roanoke, Virginia, uh, which is about 30 minutes away, but still in the Blue Ridge Mountains. By day, I'm a newspaper journalist, but I guess I'm here because I'm a playwright, and not to brag, but I've had productions in 47 states, six Canadian provinces, and 17 countries. Um, I've had 22 scripts published. Somehow, I'm neither rich nor famous. So I tell people I'm the equivalent of a bar band. Yeah, I get a reasonable number of gigs, but still waiting on my big break. Please tell me how you're so prolific and what you know how you've gotten so many plays published and produced all over. What Tell me just a little bit about that. That's amazing. Um, well, two things. Uh, one, I can type very fast, which is a byproduct of my day job. You know, whether I can write well, I suppose, is a, a different matter, but I can certainly write fast. And I've been at it a while. I was also going to say I have no social life, um, <laughs> which is yeah, not entirely untrue. So, yeah, I spend a lot of time writing and I submit like a magman. What themes are you interested in? Do you have so many, so much out there? Do you find that there's like a through line, or do you get inspiration from being a journalist? Where where does that come from? It, it comes from all over. There there are things from uh, journalism that that creep in, uh, even though I try to keep a bright line there. Most of what I write would be comedy or attempted comedy. Yeah, frankly, very you know, commercial you know kind of stuff. So it, hasn't always been commercially successful. That's, that's the attempt. That said, I do have some very serious plays, and you'll probably ask about those. So I might as well go ahead and volunteer that information. One of my favorites is um, 57 Hours in the House of Culture, which is based on the true story of the Moscow theater siege of 2002, which is a incident, you know, little known in the West because we were still in the aftermath of 9-11. Uh, 2002, Chechen terrorists seized a theater in Moscow during a performance of a popular musical and held hundreds of patrons hostage for 57 hours until the Russian authorities freed them by pumping poison gas into the place. They thought it was a clever way to end the standoff. It was not. 
because um, a lot of people died. So I have uh, a play about that, and that's been produced. And then I also have several about immigration, which are very, very serious. Moon Over Manitoba has not yet been produced. I had two productions of it. I was two theaters that said they were going to produce it last year. Um, and you know what last year was like. Um, so that didn't happen. Um, so that, that's the long version of what I do. So the it was supposed to have two productions. Those obviously didn't happen. Did did they say, you know, we commit to doing this when we come back or we'll try and do this virtually, uh, anything like that? One said they might. Uh, and since then, they've sort of gone radio silent and I haven't heard back from them. The other one, I think, may just be defunct. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, that's been not uncommon, very sadly. When we were emailing, you mentioned to me that you've done a Zoom reading about once a month. So is that from prior work that you have in the filing cabinets? Is that all new work? Uh, how, did, how did those come to be? Uh, yes and yes. Uh, some Some of each. I hate to say this, but the pandemic has been kind of great for me um, because there hasn't been anything else to do. So there have been fewer distractions. So I've had more time to write. Um, I sort of went into it once, you know, once it became clear that, you know, the curve wasn't going to get flattened in two weeks. You know, I was reading about what people like Shakespeare did, how much time they spent, you know, with theaters closed and figured, you know, at the end of this, we'll find out who used their time well. Um, so I wanted to be one of those people who used my time well. So I've gotten a lot written in the past year. And yes, um, a few weeks into the pandemic, uh, after I discovered Zoom, um, I realized, well, gosh, you know, I can hold readings this way. In theory, every time I've written a new play, I've tried to hold a reading. But, you know, organizing those in person, you know, can be difficult. You know, you have to find a place, you know, have to get People within, you know, a certain geographical distance all agree at the same time in the same place. You know, I had a backlog of stuff that didn't have readings. And suddenly I realized, wow, <laughs> you know, I can get people from all around the world. So I started just by putting a message out on Facebook to people I knew and had, you know, a humongous number of people sign up. So I started off doing readings of two large cast plays just because I had so many people, you know, who wanted to take part. And then after that, we just sort of settled into a routine uh, about every month, with a few exceptions. I uh, have done a Zoom reading, some of that, yeah, older work that I'd never gotten a reading done for, um, some of that new work. And in the course of that, I have met a lot of people, frankly, all over the world. Like I say, you know, I started out with people I knew here in, here in Virginia. Uh, I've ended up, you know, I've had some cast that have been all from Canada. thought that was great. Few readings got in the line. Well, now I need three teenagers. Can you find some? Sure. <laughs> so, you know, it just grew. I did one reading with a cask from Australia. Did that at midnight our time to make it work out Australian time, which they thought was great. It was probably not so great at the, the end of it. Uh, it was supposed to be an all Australian cask. The last minute someone didn't show up. I knew most of the people from Australia, but not all of them. And this was someone I didn't really know. They they couldn't raise her by, you know, the usual means. Um, so I enlisted my wife, you know, at literally the last minute. She, she is a very accomplished director and actress here in Virginia. Uh, but she had not seen the script, you know. I literally said, here's the script. <laughs> Your character is Augusta. She comes in on page 
16 or whatever, and off we went. So that was the Australian reading. Good sport, that one yeah. of yours. She is definitely, that is a good sport. I'd love to hear if you have any advice for other writers on how to stay so prolific. And like, I don't know if you have a system where you start off every day and you just write a word or some sort of brainstorm, um, or maybe you don't, but if you do, I'd be super curious to hear about that. Um, I do try to write every day. Um, I know people who are runners. I'm not a runner, but the, the people who I know who are run every day. Doesn't matter how bad the weather is, they're out there running. That's just part of their routine and built into their, you know, the structure of their day. It's sort of the same, you know. I try to carve out time to write every day. Again, I think that's part of my newspaper background. You know, you can't really wait for inspiration to strike. But that, that would be my advice. I mean, for, you know, everybody is different. So, you know, different people, you know, different things may work for different people. But for me, it works best, you know, to do it every day and just make that part of the, the daily routine. I love how you compared it to running, right? Because it's a, it's a muscle. It's exercising that muscle. It is. It is. Yeah. Sounds like that. Sounds like that works for you. That's awesome. Sam a writer. I don't even know. Sam a writer. And I want to have a Zoom reading. I want to have my work seen. Do you have a list of people you know? Do you just find them online? Like what? what is the literal logistics of how you make these Zoom productions come to fruition? Yeah. Um, all of the ones I've done are really just sort of friends and family sort of affairs. You know, they're not meant, you know, they are readings. So they were very much readings. They are not meant to be, you know, productions and they're not really meant to be seen in the sense of, you know, the general public. Yeah. I have recorded them and put them on my website and I hope, you know, that might someday interest somebody in seeing the show. And a few times I've, you know, sent someone the link, Hey, you know, here's the show, you know, would you be interested in producing it? And I do have a funny story to tell about that, but these have not been fancy in any ways. I can just start out with people I knew. I mean, I imagine every writer, you know, knows, you know, if you're writing plays, you must know some, you know, some players circle has grown over time. Uh, but I've just, you know, picked a date, you know, figure out you know, who I wanted to invite to in fact cast the thing. Um, you know, ask them, you know, hey, are you available on section section day because section section time? Virtually everybody is. I've had, you know, when I've tried to do this in person in the past, you know, on a real stage, man, they're all kind of conflicts because there are other things going on. Now, you know, there's nothing going on. You know, people you know, they'll have, you know, much excuse for where else they're going to be. You know, they're bored, frankly, and want to stay involved. So um, I've had only a few instances of people who couldn't do it because of some conflict. That part has been easy. You know, I've just sent them the script. I mean, yeah, there's again, these are these are readings for me to hear the script. You know, so there's no rehearsal. There's no direction. It's just here's the script. You're reading, you know, this part. You know, we'll meet at eight. Uh, on Saturday night, and uh, you know, after the obligatory chick chat, you know, off we go. Now, I do have a funny story, or at least it's funny to me. So, and it actually relates some to the pandemic. So, early on, I read 
that at the end of this, theaters will want small cast scripts. I don't know if that's true, but that was what I read. Um, and I do like to think I have a reasonable sense of marketing, you know, that I'm, I'm not writing impossible to produce things. So I was thinking, oh, I better go write a small cast show. I actually had an idea that I had written before that had a huge sprawling cast. It needed something done with it. I wrote, oh, I can take this idea. I can boil this down. I can do this with a cast of four people. So I did that and then, you know, wanted to hold the reading to see how it uh, worked out. So I organized the cast. We set the reading. And the, the day of the, the reading on Saturday, I just had a simple message on say, Facebook to, you know, hey, I'm doing a reading tonight. If, you know, you want to watch, you know, send me a message. I'll send you the link. You know, don't want to post the link on Facebook because then you get Zoom bombers. Someone on Facebook who I knew but not very well tagged in a friend of hers. And I was immediately terrified. Because the play I've written is based on a true story about the discovery of Neptune in the 1800s. Neptune was the first planet predicted mathematically before anyone saw it. And there was a great, it was like the space race of the 1800s um, between a French mathematician and English mathematician. And there was this great, you know, nationalist fervor between Britain and France over who who would claim the discovery. Well, the French guy who was the, there's still debate about who got, got it first, but the, the French guy got the, the, the publicity at the time because he, he was brilliant. He was also a big self-promoter and frankly was a jerk. Well, the friend that my discount friend tagged in had the same last name as the French guy. I realized, oh crap. This is like some descendant. Um, I can't pronounce the French. Um, Urbain Levier, I think. Uh, again, I can't do the French. So I was terrified because he doesn't come off very well on the script. You know, he's bombastic. Yeah, you know, he's brilliant, but bombastic and not a very nice man. Well, sure enough, the uh, the the friends who showed up were you know like the great 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 something of you know this French mathematician. They loved it. In fact, they thought I went too easy on dear old great-grandpa. And then they told me some other stories about him, about what a nasty man he was. I don't know if anyone else will have that um, kind of story. But, you know, the short version, just, you know, invite people, like, you know, pick a time and, and have at it. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. This is my last question, which is okay. just uh, what are you most – looking forward to when live in-person performance returns? Um, well, actually seeing a live in-person performance. Virtual theater has been great in that, you know, theater has stayed alive in some form during all of this. And, you know, like you heard, I mean, I've gotten a lot of readings done. I know others have too. But that can replace, you know, the physicality of a live performance, being in the same space, you know, as human beings on a stage, you know, that that cannot be replicated virtually. So, you know, I would love to see my work performed, but, you know, I would love to see anybody's work performed. So I'm hoping, you know, when all this is over, 
you know, there will be a great demand, um, you know, a lot of pent up demand to see shows. That, that's what I'm hoping for. You have been listening to The Big Intermission. If you liked what you heard today, please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That's how people find out about it. And it just helps get the word out. You can also go to the website, www.thebigintermissionpodcast.com and check out the other episodes. You can reach out to me. I check the email. And thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great rest of your week.